ABC, CBS, TNT. ABC, CBS, TNT. ABC, CBS, TNT. Miles, the blood code isn't working for Mortal Kombat Conquest. Miles, how are you, buddy? I am doing great, and I am really, really excited to talk about this week's episode and the honestly, sadly, final episode of Syndication September. Uh, I have had a lot of fun kind of going back to the past, even though we spent most of it in the early 90s. We're getting a little bit ahead this this week with a show based on, I would say, one of the more popular games of the 1990s, and I would say say one of the top three fighting game franchises of all time of all time certainly I, I think i think that the the i might even say top two well i okay i i i would have until doing research apparently in terms of at least uh success and sales this does trail behind tekken which makes sense tekken was huge in the in the playstation era uh so anyway i should we should mention this show is the more you nerd we have not mentioned the show's type name on the show in like two in months Feels if you're like, here, you should know where you are. But yes, yeah. I, I, we, we used to we used to begin the the whole spiel with you know, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the more you nerd, the only podcast. Yeah, blah blah. Um, but we're we're not now. Yeah. Uh, so, so Drew, uh, I do want to ask you. I think we we talked about this a little bit last week before we dive in. Um, there's not much history, uh, weirdly enough, and I made the foolish decision to lobby for this show to be last because I figured it would be the easiest to research, and I think I found the least out of everything we've done this yeah, month. The, the listening audience at home can't see my slight, uh, slightly <laughs> smug nod as I look into the camera at Miles. I, I, I was like, Drew, this is going to be so easy. It's going to be not a problem. There's no way Mortal Kombat fans haven't like, you know, logged in every second of this show's existence. Um, the opposite. I think most Mortal Kombat <laughs> fans tried to forget the show existed, which is a shame, honestly. Yeah. But so, so, I know you're not a big fighting game person, but did you play Mortal Kombat much? Were you part of the craze? So Mortal Kombat was one of the fighting games that I really got into. And that was partly because at the time it was huge. It was the biggest home arcade or home game, especially because it was so like it was, quote, realistic in a way that others weren't because it actually used motion capture actors in a way that we didn't really understand what that was then. And also it was completely different. They basically just took pictures of character of actors doing different things and kept motion captured, like just coded that into the game anyway. But uh, like I, I jokingly had the, the fake blood code at the start of this. ABACABB is the Sega Genesis blood code for Mortal Kombat 1 that I will never forget. I honestly, to this day, do not know where I learned it. I don't know. It's, it was one of those things that was ingrained, kind of like the Konami code. You like you heard it a couple times as a kid and then it just kind of got like part of your DNA. Yeah. And, and, and so this was also around the time that, you know, if you were going to a sleepover at somebody's house, Mortal mm-hmm. Kombat was getting busted out there was going to be mortal kombat 2 or 3 or ultimate mortal kombat 3 you know in 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 what i would later learn is a very very pared down console version of these games versus what was going on in the arcades um yes uh i i would probably say either mortal kombat trilogy or ultimate mk3 was my my drug of choice in terms of like retrospect but i've always been a street fighter guy i've always loved the the japanese fighters and i've I, i was always really into street fighter 
I even knew what little story there was. <laughs> However, I did really enjoy Mortal Kombat. And back when you were a kid, it was kind of like the Star Trek versus Star Wars thing that people still idiotically do. It was, are you a Street Fighter kid or are you a Mortal Kombat kid? And I like with that or like DC Marvel, I always didn't want to choose because I liked both flavors. And what Mortal Kombat had was this. And, and the only reason it works is because they took themselves so seriously is this intense dark fantasy lore that totally is so fun to dive into. It, it, it's it's all of this stuff that is based, at least for the first game and even the first movie as it would come uh, based on it's it's if a bunch of kids that grew up in the in the 60s and 70s watching Kung Fu movies decided to do that, but also yeah. inject this very American flavor into what that would be with extreme violence and like a guy with a random cyborg eye for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were so many elements that didn't make sense and it didn't matter that even when they explain things to you, you're like, oh, OK, yeah, he's part of the the uh, was the Black Dragon Society. OK, huh, cool. Yeah, he's a Lin Kuei. Uh, I know what that is now. None yeah, of, none of the story is actually in the games, but it's just it's all very. Well, they, they did have those 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 big blocks of text uh, that, that they would in the arcade, they would usually just pop up randomly while it, the game was kind of in um, idle mode. The, attra then, the attract screen, as they uh, would call it. Yes. But when you won, you would get this big, long, like paragraph about what happened when this character won. And it was definitely different than Street Fighters because Street Fighters usually had one or two little things and they were mostly nonsense, a little lighthearted. And this was a lot more serious. If you put a bad guy character, bad guy things happened. <laughs> but like every kind of choose your own adventure story or, you know, like Fable or KOTOR, there is an official ending. And the official ending of Mortal Kombat was that Liu Kang won the tournament. And and yeah, this game was, was massive. It had uh, <laughs> soundtracks, comics, live action movies. It was only a matter of time before we got a TV show. And, and I do want to throw out one other piece of Mortal Kombat as a franchise, because I think it's important to keep this in the context of what we watched and that Mortal Kombat was more than any other game at the heart of the the, the 1990s video game congressional hearings about violence in media. Mm -hmm. and, and that is circled around, of course, a lot of blood, but specifically the fatality moves that that were in those games. If you beat your opponent after two rounds, Rounds and you could, if you were good enough and knew the commands, you could execute an extremely bloody, gross, special move that might rip somebody's spine out of their body or or might uh, cause their head to explode or a giant dragon might come out and eat them. And all of that was just part of the flavor of what Mortal Kombat was. I remember I remember like reading like a Game Facts or a Game Pro magazine or EGM when they would have the, the, the fatality moves in them, because initially I don't think I don't think they were in the instruction book. You kind of they to were not. You had to go out and find it out. out. And I would write down on notebook paper so that when I went to the arcade, I could try it out. They were even they were devilish enough to between the arcade releases and the console releases. In some cases, not all cases, they changed them because they wanted people mm -hmm. to have to discover them again. Uh, and I think by Ultimate Mortal Kombat 
three on the side of the cabinet. I think they had some people's moves listed they, out. They had the moves, but they never had the fatalities. Did they not have the fatalities? Because they okay. wanted you to it, figure those so out. Uh, so to set the stage for, I'm sorry, did you want to say something else? No, go for it. Okay. Uh, to set the stage for Mortal Kombat Conquest, we're going to briefly talk about its placement in the historical context of Mortal Kombat. Because as we said, during the, the early to mid 90s, Mortal Kombat had taken the world by storm, especially in America. Now, the gestation and creation period was early 98, but I, I have to say it's probably late 1997 because of how long these deals tend to take. And 97 was a big year for Mortal Kombat. You had the release of Mortal Kombat 4. In addition to the series' first ill-advised spinoff, Mortal Kombat Mythologies <laughs> Sub-Zero. So I, I do want to point out with Mortal Kombat 4, this Mortal Kombat 4 was a huge, huge release. I want to say it was the first one on uh, a new platform. Uh, I believe so. And, and also it was the first game that went from these very 2D characters that were like screen grabbed and and put in so that into full 3D modeled characters. Yeah, and and Mortal Kombat I, there's a reason it's not talked about a lot. 4 is a growing pains game. It got good reviews. It got decent reviews at the time, but I remember the general feeling was pretty cool. I I, I do as well and and that's not just talking about Sub-Zero. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I I had the game. Shut up, Drew. Uh, I, I had the game and I remember thinking this is not bad. Nothing about this is necessarily awful, but it's it's one of those growing pain times, especially in 97 in the 3D realm. A lot of games were going through this. And so while MK4 was not a failure by any means, it, it also received a slightly cooler reception from critics. Well, a lot of people seem to like it. There, there was there was some discerning opinions about it. And it also didn't perform as well as the, the onslaught of MK3 releases and trilogy. I think MK trilogy, if I'm off the top of my head, I think sold two, th- two million copies on the PlayStation alone and MK4 like barely copped a million. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> Sub-Zero did even worse. It was insanely polarizing to critics and really confusing to a lot of fans. It was a, and- it was a side-scrolling action game starring that, Sub-Zero. Which which I thought was a cool idea. The problem is it's 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 absolutely horribly implemented. Like there is some really cool stuff and I like that the bosses become basically Mortal Kombat fights and it does introduce some characters who would be in future titles, but the execution of that game is so rushed and such a, a screw job that it's it's sad because I mean this could I love the idea of games focusing on individual characters and they tried it again with Mortal Kombat Special Forces and equally bad. <laughs> <laughs> so and and the game sold very poorly barely i think it barely got over a million sales across all of its released platforms and that's of all time so it was a big flop and the the, the cherry on top for 1997 was this is the year that mortal kombat annihilation was released which was the live action sequel to 95's mortal kombat and it bombed in every aspect it was a a critical flop a commercial flop fans hated it until uh came on video and it became kind of of a cult hit just it's, because people loved making fun of it. It was bad. It's it very bad. Awful. Awful. Like movie. I can I can watch the first Mortal Kombat movie and have fun, and I do have fun with Annihilation, but for a very different reason, and it's not a good one. No. <laughs> but regardless, Mortal Kombat was still a global sensation. In retrospect, you can see the 
cracks beginning to show in terms of, of universal popularity. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to what we are talking about this show. Mortal Kombat uh, was, it was, it was originally called Mortal Kombat Crusades. Crusades? Huh. Also with a K. Uh, I, I love the dedication of the K, even though this show, like I think officially is Conquest with a C. It has been released as Conquest with a K, but I've always appreciated Mortal Kombat's dedication to what, what for whatever reason, they, they decided to go with the K. Every, it, every it time I have typed Mortal Kombat this week, I have typed it with a C and had to backspace and type it with a K just to stay on message. Uh, but the show is produced by Threshold Entertainment, the same production company that produced the live action Mortal Kombat movies in association, in association with New Line Cinema. Warner Brothers, uh, who would eventually own the entire Mortal Kombat franchise, including all the games to the point that we were recording today, took mm-hmm. on the show's TV distribution. One piece of the connected tissue with prior uh, syndication September episodes was that Mortal Kombat Conquest was filmed in the summer of 1998 at Disney MGM Studios in Orlando, Florida. Can you imagine visiting and getting getting to see, I don't care, would you say what you will about the show, but getting to see Mortal Kombat getting being filmed? Well, imagine showing up one time of the year and get, having to watch Thunder in Paradise getting filmed, and then your buddy who goes a few months later and gets to see Mortal Kombat getting oh, filmed. Oh, a few years. <laughs> well, still. But uh, no, this is, I mean, you're right, that Drew, this is really cool because when we talked about Thunder in Paradise, Thunder in Paradise kind of helped establish the Disney MGM Studios uh, process of allowing people to watch things being filmed. And yeah, this is really cool that if you if you were visiting in the summer of 1998, you were going to be watching Mortal Kombat get filmed and probably a lot of wardrobe malfunctions. <laughs> Lord, we're going to get into that particular oh, oh, aspect. We are. So short, shortly before airing, the show's name was changed, uh, apparently due to the WB had a show that they planned on calling Babylon Crusade, which was the Babylon 5 spinoff. Yeah, the Babylon and- 5 spinoff starring uh, Gary Cole. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> he played the captain on that show. Oh, man. And to avoid potential confusion, the show was retitled Mortal Kombat Conquest, which I think is, yeah, it's not better. It's not worse. It's, it's the whatever. same. It's the same. So, and here's here's where I kind of have to, I don't, I'm not really apologizing because I just couldn't find any information. The show was apparently initially shown in syndication on the WB in some capacity. Although I could find nothing about that except the original air date was October 3rd, 1998. But through parent company deals, the show was properly aired on TNT who picked up distribution as well was the unaired episodes shortly after their premiere. I think it was like a 10 day like difference. And and here's here's something that, that, that I think is interesting. I'm going to have to go on a little wrestling tangent for a brief second. Mortal Kombat was given a prime time slot after WCW Monday Night Nitro. And this made the show an earnest hit. And the reason is this is the peak of, of late 90s wrestling. This was a time where WCW was actually considered a little bit bigger than WWF slash WWE. WWE. And uh, Hollywood Hulk Hogan was wrestling for WCW at the time. Yes. Uh, Sting was still there, I believe. I mean, it was a the massive. Whole, the whole NWO uh, uh, thing was WCW. It, Correct. It is the wrestling that I know about, and I don't watch wrestling. <laughs> well, and the reason this is uh, this is the tail end of the Monday Night Wars because 
WWF at this t- at this time had only recently beaten WCW in ratings after 84 weeks, so almost two years of consecutive losses. But this was still this was still a big thing, and I think I've read numbers for during this time because uh, Raw's War and WCW Monday Nitro at the same time. It's estimated about 10 million Americans tuned in on, on into wrestling on Monday nights. So you, when you get something that high, so let's just say about five million people watching WCW Monday Night Nitro. This show absorbed a lot of those viewers. I mean, that was massive. And it was it became a, an earnest hit for TNT. And this is where, Drew, I'm going to ask you something because I, for the life of me, cannot figure this out. According to the show's producer, Joshua Wexler, this resulted in higher budgetary costs than anticipated, which spelled doom for a proposed second season. And I'm only, I, I guess I, I, I can only think that because this became value for whoever owned the core show to charge more money. That, that could be it. It could that, be licensing costs for that deal. That's the only thing I can think of because one, this show, I mean, looks like it was made with 10 bucks. And and two, I just don't understand with, with if from the way it's phrased, and I have looked at, at several sources and they basically use that same phrasing. It makes it sound like because the show was a hit, it costs more to make, which... Miles, you ever, uh, you ever seen the producers? The the Broadway play? Or, or the or the, the original movie uh, before yeah. the... Yeah. The whole idea that uh, you might uh, be able to make more money uh, with a flop than with a hit if you uh, played your cards right. I mean, there, there is that. <laughs> but so, yeah, it, it just it kind of that that aspect blows my mind. But either way, uh, it's spelled doom for a proposed second season, which would have fully aligned the the show's timeline with the, the game and solved what sounds to be a horrific cliffhanger for the season one finale. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. Apparently, their their answer to solve that cliffhanger was it was all a dream. Um, yeah. So, so, and you mentioned that that the show would have matched up with the game's timeline at that point. It is important to note that Mortal Kombat Conquest takes place a thousand years before the first Mortal Kombat game, which tracks because which, in in most lore I had read, Kung, the original Kung Lao was uh, the uh, the direct ancestor of uh, Liu Kang. Yes, and ten generations had passed because the whole thing about the Mortal Kombat that you're playing was that the outer world has won nine in a row and if you win 10 earth is gone yeah so let's let's get into what this show is and 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 so miles brings up the concept of what the mortal combat tournament is i can't which is believe- a raw deal for earth a really really terrible terrible deal so what? in the I world you know, hold on, hold on. i'm sorry drew I, I i've been wanting to talk about this the entire time i was thinking about this all week <laughs> is mortal combat is kind of bs because yeah if 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 we lose 10 in a row Outworld gets Earth. We get Diddly Squat for a winning. We get we get not being conquered as the as the like I, and for all these elder gods that are supposed to you know have our back. It just it just I don't know. It seemed and and the way they they decide they just they they talk about it in certain versions of the history is that oh Earth had all these resources and whatever. But when you see Mortal Kombat three, it's like no, they're just wrecking stuff. Like it, what, what are y'all doing? Yeah. So this this show takes place with the. With the ancestor of Mortal Kombat main character Liu Kang, Kung Lao, and you know his name is Kung Lao because anytime he is referred to on screen, Kung Lao, Kung Lao, Kung Lao, Kung Lao, 
Kung Lao. Oh, hey, Kung Lao. Kung Lao. Uh, they never. And, and that's true for for at least in these first two episodes that we watched. Again, we watched the, the intro to this. Every character that comes from a Mortal Kombat game, of which there are only a few, they are in every case but one referred to by their full name that would be in the game. So, yes. So, so the, I, I will will say that the first fight of the of the show is Kung Lao versus Shang Tsung, who is a long time, even from the very beginning of uh, Mortal Kombat game, the bad guy of Mortal Kombat. He's he's been there are badder guys now, but and he's Shang Tsung, Shang Tsung, Shang Tsung, Shang Tsung, except one time one guy calls him Shang and I made a note of it. <laughs> <laughs> I also I think I was wrong uh, in in the game continuity. I, th- I think I was thinking of the original novel by Jeff Roven that was released uh, in the game. Kung Lao is the ancestor of the current Kung Lao, who is just best friends with Liu Kang. That has also, I think, been retconned because I remember I, from the- I, I, w- I would imagine it has uh, Mortal Kombat has more continuity disasters than a Marvel comic. Um, but here, so here's the thing about this. Let, 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 let's get into it. Let's start off with just what do you think, Drew? Did, did you did you like it? Did you not like it? Because I, I, I got to say I had I had a good time. This is this is this is the genre syndicated shows that I remember seeing late at night when I was a teenager and couldn't sleep. This show is a dumb is real dumb. Yeah, but it's that right classification of mm-hmm. dumb that it's just funny enough and charming enough. And the things that they're doing in the show, because there is a lot of martial arts combat yeah. in and, the and show. Like very charming. And, 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 and but the martial arts combat that they're doing, the people that are doing that stuff are very good. The, we'll go through some of the some of the cast of characters here, but all of these people are martial artists first and actors second. <laughs> and with the exception of Kristana uh, Christa, uh, Logan. Yes, although she had, uh, you know, she's done a bunch of, of martial arts related stuff, too. But I yes, would say I would say she is probably the the exception to that rule. But you've got uh, Paolo Montalban, who's a martial artist, Daniel uh, as as Kung Lao, uh, Daniel Bernhardt as the character Ciro, who is original to this show, not in any prior or current Mortal Kombat game. Uh, he is a I, I'm fine with that. Hey, uh, <laughs> he's he's played by by a Swiss actor, Daniel Bernhardt. Uh, and I started calling him Jean-Claude Van Dim. And uh, turns well, out <laughs> it turns out uh, he has uh, he portrayed the character that uh, Van Damme originated in Bloodsport in Bloodsport 2, the next Kumite, as well as being in the Jean-Claude Van Johnson TV series about uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And, and served as his stunt double a few times. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 done a lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, beyond that, we also uh, we just have a lot of other actors as just side characters. And what's funny is looking at this, a lot of the guys like Scorpion shows up in these first episodes. The actor who play, portrays Scorpion was Scorpion in the in the movie, at least. Yeah. And uh, he might have been in the game, too. Uh, I, I feel like I heard. I don't know. And again, for whatever reason, Mortal Kombat has not been well documented in it with its history. I would love a good Mortal Kombat documentary. And that high score Netflix thing is not what helped. 
um good good series i mean it's it's fun it but it's it's just general stuff so i had to i did have to like take some some kind of breaks every now and then because scorpion specifically bothered me well there's so there's so there's so much about the way that this story is set up that is by the way super different from every mortal Kombat game that i have ever played and that is namely uh shang sung who was the chief lieutenant of the the lord of outworld the evil realm that's trying to take over everything uh shao khan um he's chief lieutenant of shao khan he fails to defeat Liu kang and fails to to let shao khan conquer earth realm these are a lot of phrases that i'm saying back to back that i feel <laughs> like i sound like i'm talking gobbledygook but again this is all stuff that's coming out of this world and and so shao khan sends shang Tsung, a lot of a lot of sh words happening right now to his cobalt mines uh to 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 punish him uh not in re- cobalt mines, by the way apparently take away the powers of anyone who's around them except for shang Tsung because he's allegedly part human well he's, he's a which, human human guy apparently uh which uh, that's news to me but the thing about it is in these cobalt mines there are the souls of thousands of warriors that shao khan has defeated in the past and he can bring those warriors and send their spirit their souls to earth to basically take over all of kung lao's friends uh and then have kung lao have to kill his friends uh at least based on the first episode that's what it seems like is happening because that's definitely what happens with scorpion and dude's buddy uh i can't remember his name anymore oh uh takeda takeda that's right because they uh so they credit him as 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 scorpion after that so uh, yeah that that was the thing that kind of in terms of things that the only things that actually actively bothered me in this show scorpion was kind of the main one i i get scorpion being used as a pawn that's happened to him in the games it's happened to him in in comics but the idea that he had somehow been confined to a scorpion in a cage and (laughs) which a scorpion in a cage that is painted yellow and so that it just looks like scorpion fantastic Uh, have you have you even mentioned um (laughs) uh what's it it vorpix is that her name vorpix we we have we've we have not brought any of the rest of this out because there's a lot that needs to be said in 2020 about the treatment of women in this show (laughs) uh, so let's 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 hold hold on to that for a second let's let's, okay okay let's well so she she is the person that shang sun kind of turns to or gets guided by in these cobalt mines and and she leads him to scorpion and i i I was a, a little bothered one that okay so scorpions is just you know possessing a dude that's i understand they're not going to follow <laughs> a dude whose costume gets progressively more yellow as fights go on which was well the thing is his plain clothes outfit when he gets knocked out uh, by by kung lao uh, oh yeah because he's trying to uh elope with i guess a merchant's the, there's, daughter there's, i couldn't really tell what the, who, he's who he the was. baron and uh we haven't even like I, again the story of this doesn't really matter it's going to be a just know that if this show gets picked for syndication september the story is all of the stuff happens at the very beginning and then shang Tsung's gonna send a different mortal Kombat bad guy to fight kung lao every episode yeah um i i will say despite the the the, the clear overacting uh by what was his name the actor that plays kung lao uh 
uh, Paolo uh, Monteblon. I really liked him a lot. I thought he he was charismatic. He did a he did a solid job as playing. I mean, for syndicated TV, the the torn monk. Like in his in his mind, he won Mortal Kombat. Like he just wants to kind of go back to a normal life. Whereas yeah. Raiden's like, nah, you got to prepare because <laughs> they ain't done with you yet, son. And, and you, the next thousand years, you're not going to age a day, but you better get to training the next set of Earth Realm warriors, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so I really, this had been done in the in the first Mortal Kombat movie. I I kind of like Raiden having this lighthearted, almost trickster god attitude. And like, and, oh, I need a vacation. <laughs> like, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that as well. And I think uh, I think Jeffrey Meek, who plays both him and oddly Shao Kahn, which is interesting. That uh, was so weird. Also, did not care for Shao Kahn's. They they were so close to getting that look right. Well, but his look changes between the very beginning of the episodes. Yeah, well, there's that too. I think he just takes the helmet off is all that happens. I just keep the helmet on, bro. <laughs> but but I, yeah, I, I do. Like, I loved Christopher Lambert as Raiden. Now, I understand it is stupid that a, a is he French Canadian? Either a white dude playing a Chinese elder god is absolutely stupid. Le- Lambe- I agree. Christopher Lambert is 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 from like they they chose Christopher well no that was why they chose him for Highlander I don't know why they chose him for uh... <laughs> yeah but 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 his, but his performance as Raiden is really fun just the way he delivers certain lines like I will always remember the way he goes they have won nine and <laughs> then following up with this like gag about how like oh yeah if you don't do this everyone dies and just starts laughing and this Raiden you know turns that up to about 11 but he plays more of a I almost want to say like a monkey king-esque like he's very mischievous he's very like i'm gonna put all the pieces together yeah um kind of that beggar prince type of deal i really really liked that uh the again uh play by jeffrey meek very well done don't know why raiden's a white guy still uh, don't understand that again probably also, to, don't know pro- where they are probably to match uh christopher lambert's performance christopher lambert by the way born in great neck new york but the son of a french diplomat to the un okay so that, that, i guess that makes more sense but also but i again, don't know where they are so so, because... this, so this is the other side of, of of the mortal Kombat coin that the world that they set up is just quote vaguely southeast asia <laughs> and there are but also weirdly not there are weird thai looking temples which i swear they use the same stock footage of those temples for the mortal Kombat movie that they did for the show well also filmed at disney filmed at disney uh and and but but then the world that they inhabit is this this weird it's like middle of a Europe mixed with like it's 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 as if there was this weird crossing of of all of the medieval realms of of Earth. I'm using the word realm because I've watched this realm realm realmy realm all this week. Uh, it it's it does its own thing that's drawing on whatever it wants to draw on from what actually happened in the world. None of it is realistic. It's never daytime in the city <laughs> that they're in. It's always night. Yeah, you're right. It's always that's probably that. What they could, uh, but the, um, but the temple is always daytime and never night. So I also one thing that, that this show also did well, or at least attempted to do, is for for whatever reason you had not see, like played the game, seen the movie in the, in the beginning of the first episode called uh, Warriors Eternal. They give you kind of this cliff notes narration of what Mortal Kombat is, and I, I thought that I thought that was good. I think this show does a lot of things right in terms of I, it, it wants to tell the story of Kung Lao. It does not. Necessarily 
necessarily want to just be a game show. And I, I dug that. I, I I kind of like, all right, I'm down to, to do this thing about Kung Lao and random white people that he met along the way. But I mean, <laughs> we can't we also can't ignore some of the narrative problems with this this show, because as Drew said at the top of the discussion, this show is real dumb, real dumb and and real dumb in, in the way that Thunder and Paradise is real dumb and real dumb in the way that Tech War is real dumb. It's it's also, I think, more charming than either of the shows. You'll notice I left uh, Forever Night because I don't think Forever Night is real dumb. And I thought they did a pretty decent job for the time. Forever Night also had like three seasons where everything else we right. covered has one. Yes. Which is and this is the, this telling. Is the, this is the first show we've covered that didn't start off with a movie. Yes, it's a two part pilot, but this these were ep- aired as episodes. Everything else had a two hour movie to start it off with. That's true. That's true. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I do think that uh, the general performances for most of the people are decent. Shang Tsung is overtly Shang Tsung. And I, I will say uh, the guy who plays Jen's father is probably the worst out of everybody. Uh, yeah, John Riley, or as I called him, uh, Discount Shatner. He uh, absolutely he he just he carried himself like like an older William Shatner. It was very funny watching this this week and Tech War last week because mm-hmm. like he he even like they look kind of similar with their kind of grayish graying hair that maybe died in part like it, it was it was just very very interesting and, and, and to give context to for, and, for the listeners who haven't seen it uh he plays a character who is the father of the the girl that kung lao was in love with he is i i guess some sort of powerful merchant or baron of some sort and kung lao is a humble monk but he has just one you know earth realms security however no one else seems to believe in all of that quote-unquote hocus pocus and so when he goes to ask for her hand in marriage not only does the baron say no but basically threatens to execute Jung Lao if he ever sees him again get a job you hippie he basically says (laughs) pretty much (laughs) Uh, I do want to say one of my favorite things about this episode is that uh, we see a number of guards that work for the baron and one of them has the worst shield in the world it's just this little tiny shield the one that kills the baron eventually (laughs) with just a long thin spike at the very center of it what is the purpose of that what is the purpose of that i thought every time that guy came out why does that guy have that terrible terrible dumb shield it's dumb it looks dumb it looks cheap and then with the payoff of when the baron gets accidentally knocked into it and killed by the dumb shield i was so happy <laughs> uh, the one person we haven't mess uh mentioned is uh kristana uh, loken who you might know as the the villain in Terminator 3 Rises Against the Machines. The Terminatrix. Yes. Also Blood Rain. Yes. In Uwebo's Blood Rain, the first Blood Rain movie. She's been in... She plays... Oh, go ahead. She's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, she has. I mean, she's she's had a, a fairly healthy career as, as a model, as an actress. I mean, she's done well for herself. She plays a, a new character, a thief. I think her name's uh, Taja. Taja. Is, is, is her name? And honestly, as, as far as new characters go, I, I liked her. I mean, she was kind of playing the... You'd only, if, if this, this were any other story other than Mortal Kombat, you would think she would be the main character. That kind of Aladdin, lowly thief becoming greater than she is. 
And she has that story. Raiden appears to her and says, like, you know, I've got more things to do, even though he appears as a goofy beggar. I, I thought she, I actually thought she was pretty good. I did too. But... Like, I, I, the, the only performance that I really disliked, but I also still liked is, is Ciro, who is, we mentioned, <laughs> uh, we mentioned the Baron and his daughter, Jen, that Kung Lao is in love with. Ciro that has come up before. He's, he's, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. Um, he is the, uh, Ciro is the bodyguard for Jen. Yeah, has been the bodyguard. And this is this will tell you he's like a diet Kevin Sorbo. Yeah, yeah, that's also a good term. So, so this this is the thing where the most confusing thing about that is that Ciro seems to hate Kung Lao, but then also is best he friends with Kung Lao. Yeah, so he respects him, but also he's a guy who's by the book. So he's almost like Harvey Bullock to Kung Lao's Batman. Yeah. So, so there is a point that Ciro could have completely sold out Kung Lao, and he doesn't do it, and then he turns himself in for not. Yeah, it's. It, again, this this show gets real dumb. Yeah, and and, and so you have this whole thing where they're they're, they're setting up Scorpion. Like Takeda basically uh, is knocked out by Kung Lao. Takeda, uh, who so is they, one of the uh, guards for the Baron, but not the guard with the Baron uh, with the dumb with the shield. shield. Also, a good friend to Kung Lao, and so he gets somehow Shang Tsung and uh, Vorpix teleport this this Scorpion to fall from the sky <laughs> on top of the unconscious Takeda that. Got, crawls in his his vest and i assume stings him and i did like that like oh he's got kind of a scorpion-esque outfit on it's just not the right color and i mean it had to happen eventually but i i hate this kind of bias with stuff because apparently he's got all of the memories of takeda and but he's not he's he's scorpion which i i have problems with this just as a mortal Kombat fan because even though they say that scorpion was a a, a warrior trapped within a scorpion's body from a, a conquered dimension that shao Kahn took a while ago that that's not it and yes he does agree to do Shao Kahn or Shang Tsung's bidding in return for a favor which fans are like okay well there's gotta be some sort of vendetta against a sub-zero at some point that's gotta be it but historically (laughs) sub-zero killed Scorpion and his family and he's this basically ghost rider ninja trying to get revenge on sub-zero that's that Scorpion and I just I I just I, I can't ride with that idea yes we eventually get to see the yellow ninja uh who somehow had had time for a costume change well he just ripped off all the other like because because again miles mentioned that takeda's costume is basically a scorpion costume just it's all black and as the more kung lao fights takeda in that costume the more gets, yellow bits show yeah. through on the costume it's flourishes it's, it's 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 great it's 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 as dumb as it is okay that's kind of neat look i'm not gonna lie when i saw uh, kung lao who they also i think unconsciously try to make him like Luke Kang because as Drew mentioned at the top of the show or top of the top of the discussion when we first see Kung Lao in Mortal Kombat he looks like Kung Lao from Mortal Kombat 2 he's got the weird like 90s cable pouches he's got okay, the so, hat so Miles this is where I want to talk about what bothered me about this yeah go the, for ca- it. the character of Kung Lao in the games and as we are presented in the very beginning of the show Kung Lao wears a very wide brimmed hat that has mm-hmm. a razor around the yeah. entire outside that he Love throws it. like a deadly frisbee. Yes. Kung Lao shows up looking exactly like that, throws the hat on the ground and never uses it again. 
Well, I mean, hey, we, he, he might get the hat back. We don't know. Now that we hat's in know. Shao Kahn's hands now. <laughs> um, but through the rest of the time, he's in this kind of burlap sack T-shirt. He They, they kind of give him almost like a Liu Kang type. And it's part of the same society. The, the White Lotus Society, I believe is what it's called. Um, and, and, and Raiden's trying to convince him this is the journey you need to go on. And so this whole thing, this whole disaster is a lesson to Kung Lao because unfortunately for Kung Lao, uh, his lady love gets kidnapped by Scorpion and Scorpion's just whooping ass. I mean, Scorpion's about to kill him. And what we what we see, what follows is the worst fireball in the history of fireballs, which is based <laughs> off an actual Scorpion move. And he, he hits her. She goes flying across the, the temple and Kung Lao proceeds to, to fight. And for whatever reason, the when he, he punches them a certain time, it's almost like there were health bars the the temple floor opens up and and i guess he falls into hell Sucks I, I don't scorpion know. right back into hell yeah that seems to be <laughs> that, what happened that it was it, it's so wild because it makes no sense it makes zero sense why why did the floor open up like he could have just gotten back up he wasn't killed he wasn't defeated it's it's wild and, man and, and then then that that attack kills his beloved jen um and that's when he's like i gotta you know i've got i've got to protect the earth realm i've got to train here I'm going to go out on my own and do this thing. And I know that we didn't do what we usually do and give you the, the, the plot point by plot point, but you really, you don't need to. And this show needs to be experienced. I, I think Drew would agree with me on that one. Yeah, I, I do think that. I I think that there are some things that are very... <sighs> very interesting about syndicated TV in 1998. Well, see, this is the syndicated TV that I remember. I mean, it always had a specific look. It had this kind of music and what we're going to have to talk about. This show was very, very horny. (laughs) This show was horny. Okay. We've never said those words on this show before, which makes me sure we have makes me more uncomfortable than uh, than the uncomfortable conversation we're going to have to have because this was a syndicated TV series. It aired random times of day. And well, it- so um, if I, oh, I'm just going to I'm just going to go ahead and, and and give you a spitball. If uh, Monday Night Nitro usually started at eight, I think it usually lasted two hours. So this would have aired about 10 o'clock at night on Monday nights until it was in reruns and could ha- pop on at three and then anywhere. Cause I, I definitely saw it at like two o'clock in the morning. One time I've only seen one episode and it was the episode where Scorpion and Sub-Zero fought. And that was awesome. So the the this this show does women no 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 good no, no good. favors I no mean, favors so Christina Aloken is the only woman in the show that has any support or any clothing whatsoever and even she is sexually assaulted at the beginning of the show now I say that and then it, before well Miles you said the show is horny they made it something like it'd be fun well here's the thing I mean despite that horrible scene one you know, Todd does a great job fending off uh, his horrible advances and they, they kibosh that pretty quickly they don't make it think anything more than that one scene but the show itself is really it's it its aim was i would say the the male gaze of a 14 to 17 year old boy yes because it is it is tant is tantalizing enough where you see you know sheer especially genevieve's random second outfit change which just happens they're walking in the woods and then the next scene she is in basically a sheer wrap and 
with no explanation. And it's as much as you could show on on a syndicated basic cable show without getting in trouble. They don't they don't technically show you anything, but they show you everything. Right. And so here's here's where I am. I have no problem with the show being horny, but I wish the show was an equal opportunist. I mean, this is this is a fighting game franchise. So you have dudes who could be in the same position. And I mean, I feel like if you at least cater to everybody, it would be fine. Eh, I don't but know. This, I don't know. This, about sh- that. this show is is completely dedicated to it. It feels almost exploitive. It, and it, I, it, it doesn't just feel that it, it is it exploitive. Is, yes. It is exploitative and, to the and, point and, to the point where there are there is such a potential for wardrobe malfunctions in this show that they are on set lit for them. You can see lights that are angled in certain positions to oh, yeah. to 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 catch that stuff. The the actress who played uh, Vorpax, who is an original character, but she looks like she should be Jade, uh, played by Tracy Douglas. Uh, she said she kept having wardrobe malfunctions with her costume, and it happened so often that she wasn't surprised when they had happened. And half the time she would finish her scenes before fixing it. So I I don't I again I've only really watched these two episodes. I have memories of watching the Scorpion Sub Zero fight as a teenager, but you know th- this show was aimed for teenage boys and even though it's based off a what would would be considered an r-rated game uh, it just feels gross in the way that they do it, it here. yeah it, it feels it, gross it, it definitely it definitely feels gross especially with oh. especially with jen jen who is there to be an near, object nearly naked an object literally of kung lao's desires and then is killed at the end of the episode well like that's kung, Lao, kung lao's legit in love with her and he's uh, you know you never get the impression that he has anything but the purest intentions for her but you also get the 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 kind of feeling that zero is in love with her and they never seem to capitalize on that at all and yes i mean this show this show is definitely i would say gross like and, when and, I was not, 15, and not to mention that that Jin seems to be just as affectionate to zero as she does to kung lao because they make her extremely affectionate to every male character that she encounters yes in this show. they do and when, i mean when i was 15 and didn't know any better i was like oh man this show is like you know it's also basic cable so i was like oh man i'm seeing stuff <laughs> <laughs> exactly but I, I, I had the conversation with you when we were talking about it i was like this is this is not cool like again i i don't mind the show is horny but if it was good about it you know if, it, if there was a way to do and there's a way to do it there absolutely is without without being overtly creepy and that's this, the problem is this show never succeeds in not being super creepy about the women because you you see people at, le- at even, least in the in, first two episodes we watched maybe that gets right maybe that gets better but maybe you, when jamie you, presley's character comes along everything is oh better but oh boy somehow somehow i doubt it no because i mean even the random women you see in street scenes or in certain uh the, the execution scene like they're all in basically like leather bikinis and they're they're just there to to be eye candy which again if if done right and done better it would have been fine there's nothing there's nothing wrong with something being sexual there, that is not what i'm saying sure but the way that this show does it explicitly and for the the kind of thing they're trying 
trying to do. It just, yeah, like you, I think you said it best. It's gross, but it is something that we had to talk about because it's so freaking blatant. It's <laughs> like it's it's extremely extremely blatant, and there are there are sentences I want to say to talk about how blatant it is that I'm afraid to say because I feel gross saying them out loud. <sighs> I I do I do want to say because I, I messaged this to Drew earlier, and it was it was from the Mortal Kombat wiki, and I I I I, I almost I am ninety percent sure that someone just threw it in there as a joke. Feels like but a so- joke. It feels like a joke that a viewer said. It also feels like a joke that a member of the production company would have made. Not an actual statement, but a joke yes. about the quality of life on set. But under the facts, it said due to budget constraints, the costume department was a- unable to afford any bras for the female cast members. I feel like that was. I want to say it's a gag, but looking at the looking at Vorpex's outfit, looking at Jen's outfit, looking at, at every other woman looking except at, for Taja. Looking at Taja's outfits when she doesn't have to fight. Her outfit uh, her outfit when she was just the 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 house girl was a little more Oh well I assume revealing. that was because the Baron being the creeper. Also true. So because every every other time she's in this kind of what you would assume she's you're gonna see her in for the rest of the series because the these kind of shows if you basically had an outfit and that's what you wore um kind of like an episode of scooby-doo or something where they, yeah. they're always in the same outfit sure um t- uh kristana loken is the only only woman that has given definitely any support in her costume and she's also the most clothed woman on screen and I, that's about all i want to say about that because i feel gross. yeah yeah we, we, don't ha- we don't we don't have to go I feel gross to, talking to, about this <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, but we're not being gross. We're just we're we're, we're warning people that I hey, just, this is it just I, it I get feels it. weird. It feels weird. I don't know. Um, so with without segue, I, I will say I, I felt the fighting was really cool. Drew, you brought up something when we were talking about this show uh, through the week that I I definitely agree with. The the choreography is really solid in that when you had one fight happening in the forefront, the fight in the background continued. Yes, and love that. That is something that's really cool. There is as far as fight choreography, a lot. Of these people had martial art backgrounds a lot of these people shot action movies didn't matter if they direct a video they they knew martial arts they knew action and in that respect outside of the fantastical elements i i think the show is is solid it's not it is definitely not the martial arts uh i would say skate tapes that the no retreat no surrender movies are because i feel like the, the martial arts in those movies are a little more professional in in how they're executed you these said, are still pretty solid but these are these are solid these are done by martial artists they're done by people who are competent and qualified to do them. They are absolutely like, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, these are martial artists turned actors, not actors turned martial artists. And that makes a difference when it comes to these fights. They mm-hmm. are, however, on a TV budget and in the late 1990s where there were a lot more safety precautions and also cinematic qualities that I think you could, you could argue in the no retreat, no surrender movies in the early to late eighties. Maybe they didn't care so much about safety as they did about making cool moves oh, happen 100 percent. but also they couldn't afford to take 12 takes to get the shot right they may have had three so you better get well, it done i mean done. this yeah this this was sh- uh, i think filming began in june or july of 98 and the first episode came out in october so that is some height timing <laughs> you maybe had three days to get an episode right probably so so i gotta wonder uh as a fan i would say i would say a fan of of mortal kombat at the time if you had seen this in 1990 
98, what would have been your impression? Like think think of um because you're the same age as I am. So think of a uh, 14-year-old Drew. What would 14-year-old Drew have thought in 1998? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, we, we we covered we covered that part. <laughs> no, I I think this show is We covered that part and the show covered the women. Oof, oof. It's gonna be our least rated episode on uh, of the show. We're uh, on the right side. We're just mentioning that it's terrible. <laughs> like like I know you're uncomfortable talking about it, but we're, we're not saying anything bad. We're just saying they did a they did a boo-boo. So I think that this show is I'm sorry. We record with video and Drew looks so uncomfortable, you guys. <laughs> Drew looks so uncomfortable. I, I think this show has has a lot of 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 dumb charm that as an adult I get into. If yes. I was 14-year-old Drew, I think that I would have maybe been too cool for this. I can totally see that. Because I, it's it's not it's not flashy enough. Well, it's very flashy, but it's not uh <laughs> Oh, when you gave me a look. <laughs> get out of here. It, it's it's not uh uh the production value is not where stuff that I would have been into at the time was. Because if you think about it, I mean, again, we are in we are of a particular age where when this show com- came out, Mortal Kombat was on the side of not cool after having been super cool. And and that is definitely something that I did want to touch on because after MK4, in my mind, the the, the franchise never failed. I want to repeat that. The franchise never failed. Financially, but never. Yeah, but in my mind, starting after the numerical Mortal Kombat's with a Deadly Alliance and Armageddon and there was one other one, Deception. Like, that was an era where I think I might have played one or two of them, but I didn't care about Mortal Kombat until they rebooted it in 2009 and it became a fluid fighter. And the first time it became a tournament fighter, to my knowledge. Uh, Um, It was 2011, but it was Mortal Kombat 9. Okay, so I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, 2011 Mortal Kombat 9. Well, but called just Mortal Kombat. It was called Mortal Kombat, but people call but but people call it MK9 because the next game was MK10. MK10. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's real dumb. It's 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 some comic book nonsense. But again, that this is something that we have to talk about. Those games went from being 1996 Mortal Kombat trilogy, one of the biggest games of the year. Yeah, it's 2011 before these games are readily broadly talked about in the same way that they were. Yeah, because I remember I worked for a game retailer, and when a new Mortal Kombat came out, everyone was kind of like, okay, like it wasn't that it wasn't cool, but I also think it's even worse that no one really cared like again these games sold i mean they sold still about a million copies sure. which for for midway and whoever bought them afterwards i think wb games now that's great but they also made mortal kombat versus dc universe so um that was a thing that happened and the injustice games which is another big thing but which uh, are super fun yeah but but, so, but again it, it's it's like for for a solid 15 years those games were not nearly as big as they were and now mortal kombat 9 10 and 11 they're bringing those into the the evo tournament which is one of the biggest yeah. fighting game tournaments well, in the world Mortal Kombat is a serious fighter again but yes I, I think it's I think it is important to talk about this Drew because and this is why I wanted to mention MK4 and Sub-Zero Mythologies is or Mythology Sub-Zero is because this is where we start to see after especially after Armageddon the film or Annihilation the film came out where Mortal Kombat starts this downward trend it's not it's not super fast but the fact that we're not talking about conquest and that no one really knows what happened behind the scenes 
seasons of this show, you know, the Mortal Kombat got repopular again because of a web series that just took this material super literal and super seri- serious and and tr- treated it with the it was a web series so they could show the the violence and the, the that side of things that you can't do. I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode that something we needed to talk about is that Mortal Kombat was known for blood and fatalities and there is no blood. A man is stabbed through the chest with a dumb shield with a spike on it and there is no blood in this show. Well, and this is the problem with it being one 1998 and also a syndicated show because you want to be as broadly appealed because you don't know what what time your affiliate is going to play it. They probably weren't aware that TNT was going to put it after Nitro (laughs) and you take, yeah, the R-rated series known for the only thing that resembles a fatality is at the beginning of the show when Shang Tsung sucks the soul out of one guy, which was one of his fatalities and what would be known as a stage fatality or a pit fatality when for whatever reason the the floor opens up and swallows scorpion which is as close to as a pit, a pit fatality as, as we'll probably get i don't know i have not seen the rest of this show so miles i've got a question for you as we wrap up talking about mortal Kombat conquest which it would have been good if they well no it would not have been good because then we'd have three k's and that would be terrible so never mind oh no 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 um man i wish i hadn't said that i'm not gonna edit it though unlike the last gaffe we made on this show uh that was on me uh so where does this stack up for you in the syndication september okay so this if if people chose or if if we if we have to uh chose mortal Kombat, i would not be upset i was i'm actually kind of curious as to where this show goes um but i'm going to rank whoo I think I'm still going Forever Night, then Mortal Kombat, then Tech War, then Thunder in Paradise. I think I think that's where I'm at right now. But I could switch Tech War and Mortal Kombat. I just but think my thing with Tech War is it's morbid curiosity <laughs> so, more than anything else. I think I would be generally more entertained by Mortal Kombat, but I loves me a vampire. So so the thing about Forever Night is Forever Night has the multi seasons factor, yeah, which we, we just do the first, which we know. But but I know that because I know it had two other seasons that at least the first season is interesting enough the rest of these only have the one and, well kind of if you tech war has the movies and then the series that failed but i i am oddly weirdly morbidly mortally curious about uh curious spelled with a k uh nice about mortal Kombat conquest i think it might be my number one i'm i'm not against it and especially i remember being 15 and having a crush on uh the woman who played katana but that may have been the katana model for the game i can't remember um and because katana's always been one of my favorite characters and i know she she pops up because she's supposed to be like ten thousand years old in the mortal Kombat games and i as a mortal Kombat fan i kind of want to see where everything else falls into place i know apparently goro appears at some point in time i say computer animated goro which don't care oh man don't care i think smoke also appears uh, i also, also as computer, a computer animated which, smoke that one i'm kind of curious about is like oh could you just done a gray ninja like what what um so yeah that 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 so here's how we're gonna roll this out this episode will release be released on uh, on wednesday of 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 the week you're listening to it the, the day that you're listening to it probably yeah, hopefully <laughs> on on friday because i'm gonna give you all time to listen to this episode maybe time to like look up some stuff about mortal Kombat conquest on friday i will put up polls on facebook and twitter on on the more you nerd facebook and twitter and let people vote and out of those four shows that we've done this 
this month on our next deep dive. That is what we will commit our time to. Now, uh, obviously with Forever Night and Mortal Kombat and Thunder in Paradise, there's one season to do. With Tech War, I believe what we'll likely do is for a month, the three movies and the first two episodes of the second season. That sounds fair enough. Yeah. Um, but I'm really curious. I hope I hope people do do vote in this because I'm really curious. One, if people listened along or watched along with us, what they enjoyed. I I will say Mortal Kombat is probably in terms of my outright enjoyment, my number one. But, you know, like I said, it loves me a vampire detective. I, I would not be mad at all if Forever Night one. <laughs> I'm not going to be mad no matter what, because I, I will say I think as far as audio goes, I think Thunder in Paradise will yield the more, more boring episodes for, for you and I personally in terms of what we talk about every week. Unless they make it weird, which we don't know because we only watch that. That's true because I, I saw a transforming sequence on YouTube once about this boat and did not see it transform in that movie. So it is it's it is up to you listeners and I am really, really excited. But for right now, we're going to have to put Syndication September to bed. We're going to have to turn off the TV for a little bit. Oh no, because, oh no, Miles. What are you doing to me, buddy? So the air is starting to get a little cooler. Nice, crisp chill is in the air. The leaves are starting to fall and we are entering my favorite time of year, which is fall, but also the Halloween season. And and for years, I have basically forced Drew to watch some of my favorite horror things, uh, most of which he did not really care for. Uh, specifically, It Follows. I think he, I think you liked Marble Hornets fine. Um, uh, you can, well, I, we might, the YouTube videos might not be up anymore, but uh, at least Marble Hornets was scary. Uh, yeah, well, well, we're not going to debate about <laughs> these things now. You, listen to the episodes if you want to hear the thoughts on them. So I wanted to do something very, very different for this Halloween season. This Halloween season's theme is going to be called Trunk or Treat, uh, named for the kind of kids-safe alternative to Halloween. Uh, your community may or may not have it. In my in my neighborhood, it was usually gymnasiums or churches that had things set up for kids, especially when Halloween was not on a weekend, where they could kind of simulate a trick-or-treat thing and they had some stuff set up, you know, kind of spooky. But it was it was it was kid-centric and it was kid-safe. Um, and, as a, as, as it, a parent of young children, I've been to a few of these. Yes, I, I figured you. you well, <laughs> the, the reason I felt like I kind of had to keep, keep talking is you gave me a look like, what's trunk or treat? Um, now, nah, fam, I know what a trunk or treat is. I, I, I figured you did. <laughs> So while if you're listening to the show and you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm a massive, massive horror fan. But I'm also a big, big fan of gateway horror or horror for kids. And I'm talking about maybe the the 9 to 13 age range. And especially if you listen to our Nick Vember episodes from 2018, where we did Are You Afraid of the Dark, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. He's literally wearing an Are You Afraid of the Dark t-shirt right I, now. I am wearing an Are You Afraid of the Dark t-shirt right now. So I, I will say... I. I have decided what we're doing next week. I have not nailed down the rest of October quite yet. I will say, uh, I will, tr- because the more you nerd has always been about expanding your nerd horizons, I don't want to do something as simple as Scooby-Doo or Hocus Pocus, because these these are things that are Fiddle very sticks. ingrained. And I might change my mind on that because I do love Hocus Pocus, but, um, but I do want to do something in those veins. So for next week, and this is not going to be a far cry from what we've been doing this month, we are going to 
start off with Erie, Indiana. This show is about an ounce of Goosebumps, a quart of Are You Afraid of the Dark, and a just a pinch of Pete and Pete. This is a show that aired for one season back in the day, and then it became syndicated on the Disney Channel and then got sold to Fox. And for whatever reason, developed such a cult following that they renewed the show five years later as a spinoff. Like this, so the show had a second life, which I don't think I've ever seen <laughs> among the show we've done. But it's a, it's basically about a boy who moves from New Jersey to this town in Indiana where strange things happen. Every week, it's a new weird little story. It's it's very fun. Um, it's a half hour show, so about 20 minutes. So I don't think it's too much for us to do about six episodes, which is usually what we do. Um, for I think that's what we did for, we'll just do the first six. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, if you're a Prime member, it's free. And this is, this is the age group that I think is a sweet spot. Uh, this is really kind of aiming for that, I would say, 11 to 13 year old before people become too cool. And I'm a big fan of this stuff. I think I'll, I'll we'll talk about it more next week and throughout the month. But I wanted to do stuff that one, if you're a parent and you want to show your your kids something spooky and fun without you know, getting too heavy into it, you know, I, I want you to have some options. This is about expanding everyone's nerd horizons. Maybe on the last week of the, uh, of the month, I might do something that's a little more pushing into the PG-13 area. But I wanted to do stuff for for kids because I, do, I don't think, especially now, that they get enough opportunity to get exposed to these fun things. And uh, I mean, because we had Goosebumps and Are You For The Dark and all these shows when we were kids and they just don't exist more. Uh-huh. So that's the, the October is going to be trunk or treat. It's not so much about the tricks, but more about the treats. All right. So with that said, gang, if you want to find us, you can find us The More You Nerd. That's the name of our show that we need to start saying more. You can find <laughs> us at themoreyounerd.com. Email us uh, at themoreyounerd at gmail.com. That's themoreyounerd at gmail.com. And of course, follow us on Twitter at themoreyounerd. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash themoreyounerd to vote in our syndication September Battle of the Shows polls. Oh yeah, brother. So until next time, we will end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd out. Out. Finish him. Toasty.